ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. The world is not here to make you happy. It's here to make you conscious. In this podcast, Eckhart answers a question about overcoming suffering and finding happiness. Eckhart says the world is not here to make us happy. It's here to make us more conscious. He says the beginning of awakening is the end of suffering. He believes we should liberate ourselves from the demand that anything should make us happy. Instead, he says, we need to discover a deep appreciation for everything that is. Eckhart explains, the world does not have the power to make us happy, but it is a wonderful catalyst to help us awaken to consciousness. Hello. I have a, well, I don't know if it's a question, but um, I guess to get to the point, uh, nurturing joy, um, I think with, with things that have happened and the gloom that's come over me, because of some physical things. Um, and I, I'm studying and working on um, bringing presence. So any moment that I feel maybe a little bit of happiness or um, then my mind is looking for pointers, um, looking at, well, this, this is temporary. So I guess my question is, can you speak about joy? Because often we're, we're, we're talking about our struggles and um, how to become present and, and not have struggles, not have suffering. So I'm thinking I need to hear a little bit about joy and how to nurture that. Right, so what kind of, uh, give one or two examples of what kind of happiness that arises uh, that you think, oh, maybe I, I shouldn't be feeling that or it's not, it's not going to last or... What, for example, what kind of happiness? Um, well, what comes to mind right now is is um, when I see my grandchildren. <laughs> um, I can also get really exhausted and frustrated, but um, yeah, there's that excitement. Listening to a song, um, I can feel, some, or, or also a memory of a song, what it brings up. Right. Excitement maybe for something that I'm going to be doing. And, and with that, too, another question I had, I find I can get very emotional. So if I get angry, I cry. If I um, also, if I go out in nature and I just feel the beauty, I can cry. So I can cry with joy and I can cry with grief, the things I've lost. So with that crying, that's my reaction to so many things. Yes. But if you're crying, for example, seeing the beauty of nature, 
is that something that uh, you would rather not have, or are you would you be happy with uh, crying? Because it's not a it's not a sad crying. It's uh, something touches you on the emotional level at the the beauty of nature, and then you you cry a little bit. Um, that can be. I I have experienced that too, occasionally, uh, and it's a lovely experience. So. The joy is an important part of being present, and it doesn't mean that the fact that all the things that you perceive with your senses are impermanent, it doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy them while they are there, or that you should not enjoy them while they are there, but you can only truly enjoy them if you're in touch with the deeper level of yourself, the, the presence, the deep eye. But if you're not in touch with the deep eye, then to derive your happiness from external things, very often, and I th think you're, you realize that, very often leads to unhappiness because you're happy that there's something there, but it's not going to last. Nothing is going to last everything's going to dissolve eventually, sooner or later. So if something makes you happy, ah, it can also make you unhappy and probably will. <laughs> Perhaps this is what you mean. So you are, you are aware of that, and it is very true. Anything that makes you happy, because, because of the fact of impermanence, as the Buddha puts it, and in fact, the, the Buddha says, talks about the fact of suffering, dukkha, and he says, even the things that make you happy are dukkha. And perhaps this is what you're talking about. Even the things that make you happy are a form of suffering because if they make you happy today, they will make you unhappy tomorrow or their absence or disappearance will make you unhappy tomorrow. People have experienced that in relationships. You meet a new person. This person makes you very happy. And the, book, the Buddha would call that also dukkha because that it is more than likely that this person is also going to make you unhappy. It doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship will uh, dissolve, although very often it does. But it could just mean that every relationship has is problematic in some way. It's not, it's not always easy to live with a person. So there will be many instances when the person that makes you happy today will make you unhappy the next day or, or the following week. Or then the whole relationship will dissolve. And then the person that made you happy last year makes you very unhappy this year. <laughs> it's called wedding and honeymoon and divorce, <laughs> which 50% of people who get married get divorced. <laughs> so does that mean that you should not allow yourself to be made happy by things that you experience in the external world. And that is not the case. But these things, the Buddha talks about that these things make you, things that make you happy will also make you unhappy. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. 
You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Uh, The fact of dukkha or suffering, as the Buddha calls it, only applies as long as you are not aware of the deeper dimension of who you are and realize that all true joy arises from there. And that is not caused by anything in the external world. It's a, it, is, it is not, you experience the joy of being, Satsitananda, the joy of being, it arises from within you, it does not come from without. So it's not that the joy of being you experience because you're in lovely environment. It doesn't, it, does, it doesn't matter what your environment is, you can experience the joy of being wherever you are, whether you're in the middle of a busy street in a big city with all kinds of traffic, noise, and so on, or whether they are out in the forest there can be the joy of being. And once when you're connected with that level and realize that that's the ultimate reality is there, then you can appreciate all the beauty in the phenomenal world with your, that you perceive with your senses, appreciate it and actually experience it more deeply because you, you can sense in all those things, lovely nature or children or other humans or any experience that you have, you can sense that there an underlying essence that is the essence of who you are and everything, for example, that you see in nature, you can sense the aliveness of the tree, of the flower, of the forest, of the sky as one could almost say, you can you sense them as manifestations of the consciousness that you are. You can see, you see yourself in all that, the beingness of the tree. There's more to the tree than, than, you, than meets the eye. There's more to the flower than meets the eye, but you won't know that until or unless you realize there's more to you than meets the eye. That is the invisible presence, the essence of who you are, the consciousness that you are, the stillness to feel that. That is, when you sense that, then you can sense this as the essence in all phenomena that you perceive in the outer world, the essence of all those phenomena is that essence that you can sense within yourself. And then you can truly enjoy the beauty of this world and the pleasant experiences without becoming dependent on them for your happiness. In other words, we could say they are reflections 
of your state of consciousness that the tree is a reflection ultimately of the consciousness that you are in a different vibrational frequency but it's the same consciousness so then you can truly enjoy the world without needing to attach yourself to any condition a condition could be anything a situation where you live a trip an experience a walk in nature any any con you can enjoy any condition without attaching yourself to the condition because you realize the enjoyment comes from within you don't need it to feel happy the happiness arises from within it's not from without because as you know it will disappear everything comes to an end the most beautiful walk in nature at some point you have to go home and prepare dinner whatever and then you have to oh that was so nice so to be able to be to be present in every experience not lose yourself in the experience but enjoy it deeply the ability to have a loving relationship with the things of this world that can only arise when your state of consciousness is not dependent on the things of this world then you can love the things of this world it's not the attachment loving attachment then you can sense their inherent aliveness the inherent aliveness in everything but you can only sense it because you can sense the inherent aliveness in yourself and then even the fact that everything goes eventually or sooner or later everything dissolves every experience has a beginning and an end every tree has a lifespan it will die you can only um, love this world when uh, you don't need it anymore for your happiness then you can appreciate things without the neediness and appreciate them much more deeply than before uh, feeling of love that i can feel so just nurturing that by realizing that sensation of love and the emotion is just there. Yes. And there is an indestructible essence in all life forms. And that is the one consciousness that, that, that appears or manifests in so many disguises of all so many life forms. And it is so wonderful when you see, when you recognize that, and then you recognize your oneness with all these life forms and uh, that is love then you can you can love the, the forest the tree nature but what you love is deeper than what your, your senses show you all it's beautiful the, the appearance is beautiful but beauty is something deeper than just a surface phenomenon when so when you recognize beauty in something something shines through that in the sense perceived realm we call beauty but when the, the recognition of beauty also implies that for a moment your mind was still and there was just a presence there are still many there are many people in this world who are so immersed in their noisy conceptualizing mind that they don't really relate to beauty they can't they can't really sense it and that's a great pity to it's a great loss if you recognize beauty in, always in that moment of recognition there's a stillness in you so if there were no stillness you wouldn't recognize beauty <coughs> your mind might say oh that's a lovely sunset but you haven't really seen it 
you haven't really experienced it. Oh, oh, that's such a nice flower. What's it called? Oh, okay. Not you haven't really seen the flower. <laughs> you just ex experience everything through the concepts of your mind. Immediately you have a concept for everything. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, now let me think about my problems again. <laughs> so whenever you see beauty, respond to it. It it puts you in touch with the essence of who you are ultimately. Sometimes people that can some people can do that when they, when they see great art. A lot of modern art, perhaps not so much, but great art, like a, a painting of a landscape, whether it's by one of the impressionists of the 19th century, whether it's landscapes of no particular, not spectacular at all, just an ordinary view of a hedge and a tree, and, and yet there's something there, and you can sense it when you look at it. Turner, the paintings of the English, painter Turner who painted sky and light just amazing you look at that and some people can they, they go into a museum and they look at the painting they perhaps in that moment they can sense something oh. but when they go into nature they can't sense it <laughs> I heard somebody a long time ago it was overheard somebody there was a sunset close to a sunset and a man said to his wife oh look at that turner sky <laughs> so he he quite he, he could he could see only the sky through the lens of the art that he had seen but there won't no no direct direct sensing of the aliveness of it so nature is uh, whatever it may be in this world it's always lovely especially if you don't need it to make you happy. Anything in this world, you'll appreciate it for what it is. It's lovely when you no longer need it to, to make you happy or to give you a stronger sense of self or whatever it may be. As I often say, the world cannot make you happy. Nothing in this world, it's, it's not here to make you happy. My favorite saying, <laughs> I've said it for years, the world is not here to make you happy. It's here to make you conscious, to awaken you. It does not have the power to make you happy. But when you realize that, you drop the demand that anything should make you happy, suddenly there comes a deep appreciation of everything, which some people might call gratitude for everything, because you've dropped the demand that it should make you happy. That's an enormous liberation. But when that demand is dropped, deep appreciation suddenly arises. So that's how it is. <laughs> Thank you. And everybody else. Yes. Thanks so much. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Thank you. I feel so blessed to be able to come to you live from across the world. So thank yes. you very much. So my question today is, um, I've been in the spiritual closet for lots of years. Growing up, my mum was very, very spiritual and there was always books and I was always learning and I always, I just loved it all from, as young as I can remember, I was always interested, but always just kept that kind of private to myself. And then um, the past five years, I've really kind of, delve much deeper into my spiritual practice and I'm a primary school teacher so I just love being with the children and but I must admit now I'm, I feel at this stage where I, I would rather be teaching them life skills than maths and English I really want to teach them awareness and breath work and and I feel like I'm getting ready to try and take a kind of new branch branch out and to transition into teaching meditation becoming a meditation teacher but my question is how do I know when I'm ready to take that next step to go from learning my own, my own spiritual practice to helping teach others the tools to be able to do that yourself? Yes, that's a good question. Thank you. Yes. Yes, so you would rather teach uh, consciousness than mathematics or whatever it may be. That reminds me of a, a funny event in my, my early life. Um, <laughs> There was a time when I didn't know what to do. I didn't know at that point I was destined to be a spiritual teacher. I had already gone through a shift in consciousness, but uh, I was it, I didn't understand it fully. It was just a peaceful, peaceful state of consciousness in the background. And I thought, oh, I have to do something. So I applied at a job at a university in England, and they invited me to an interview. There were maybe five or six professors interviewing me, and I, they asked me some questions <laughs> about the subject matter. And towards the end of the interview, one of the professors said to me, and always remember, he must have had some insight. Uh, he said, and what do you really want to do? <laughs> He realized that I did, didn't really want to be teaching that. So he had some deep intuitive insight. But at that point, I didn't really know that yet. What do I really want to do? But a little bit later, I was sitting on a park bench and still didn't have a job. And a man was sitting next to me. I can't remember, it was so long ago, I don't remember the details of the conversation, but he asked me a question and I gave an answer. And he must have touched on something spiritual. And he suddenly, it was as if he was waking up and said, what do you mean by that? Um, and I realized what I said to him at that point was the beginning of an awakening for him. And the, that was the, the, the beginning of my career as a spiritual teacher. <laughs> Many other casual encounters followed. So one interesting sign is that um, are you already perhaps in some non-formal ways providing 
some kind of spiritual insight or teachings from other people, whether it's children or others around you, might not even seem significant, but two people sometimes come to you with a question or wanting to help, that's a good sign that uh, this is you're meant to do this. Um, another important point is that um, you have probably read quite a few books and have studied meditation deeply and so on. Important consideration is especially for people who have read books and are perhaps very knowledgeable about spirituality, uh, a question to ask yourself is to what extent you have internalized the teachings. The internalized, there's a big step between having knowledge, spiritual knowledge that has come through workshops, going to talks, reading books, and spiritual knowledge, and having internalized the teaching, which means really be able to live it. And for most people that happens when they encounter big challenges in life. I know some people, these, which is not uncommon these days, they they lost their job. One person I know, they, they lost their job and are now in a state of fear. What, am, I, am I going to find another job at my age? And um, this person has been involved in spirituality for many years, has made, read many, many books, and yet there's a state of fear. Oh, my God. This is your point. This is the opportunity to internalize the teaching and totally live it. Now, to some extent, you probably have done that already. I have that feeling. So the next step would be what do you what do you do? What step do you take to initiate this process of becoming a more formal teacher? The most important ingredient in any spiritual teaching situation is not your knowledge. That's because the knowledge is fine, but then you internalize it and then you can forget it. And the most important is your presence. Whenever you sit with another person, are you able to hold that space of alert presence? It, that your knowledge is no longer important in the actual teaching situation. When you need bits of knowledge, it'll come, they will come. But the most important ingredient is to, to be that spacious presence in a teaching situation. And you probably know that already, to be that spacious presence. So um, if you're able to hold that spacious presence in the presence of another, then you provide that space for them, if you provide it for them. And in that space, transformation happens and awakening happens. Some people, when they feel they are ready, although ultimately you're never really ready as a person, the person is not ready. But when you become a spiritual teacher, the transcendent dimension of who you are arises, especially in the teaching situation, and you're no longer there as a person. The world needs spiritual teaching desperately. There are some spiritual teachers who are able to hold that spacious presence in the teaching situation when they give a talk or they sit with an individual or a group of people, and they are not yet able to continuously live it in their daily life. I don't know what applies to you, but even if you cannot yet 
be totally present throughout your life, it is still the case that you could be a good spiritual teacher and hold that presence in the teaching situation. So one possibility is to find a modality that is relatively easy that you can use as a medium through which you provide spiritual teaching, a modality of some healing modality, some psychotherapy modality, or as a, almost as an excuse for <laughs> spiritual teaching, then you can, the world, we live in the world of form, the world wants some particular form. Spiritual teacher is not, uh, not always the easiest uh, form when you explain what you do or who you are. So if you notice that it's already arising organically, then at some point you may want to consider the possibility of whether you adopt some um, modality of so that through which you reach people, whether it's you call it psychological counseling or some body work or whatever it may be, uh, that can be an entry point, and from there it will expand, and then at some point you may well you drop the modality. And now as you teach, the teaching will expand and deepen. As you will learn many things that you didn't know before when when you speak to people from coming from that space of spacious presence. And that spacious presence is you you don't know the answers when you're in spacious presence. You you would never feel when you you're with somebody, a group of people or one person, you never feel that you know the answer, then you're not going to be a great spiritual teacher. The the beginning for every teaching is the state of spacious awareness. In that spacious awareness, you know nothing. You're able, but you're able to listen. Your, the ability to listen is inseparable from the state of alert presence. And in that, out of that listening, occasionally you will find you might ask more questions. Questions come become very important. Just as Socrates taught mainly by asking questions. And Socrates said, they call me the wisest of all men because I'm the only one who knows that he knows nothing. The beginning is the spa spacious openness for every spiritual teaching. So when you learn a modality, that's only an entry point. That's fine. Maybe you like it and you continue to practice it and it becomes part of your spiritual teaching. Or you transcend the modality and then just direct spiritual teaching. So your accumulated knowledge is secondary. It's, it has some, perhaps some function, but it is secondary in any spiritual teaching. Your ability to be present is the most important part of the spiritual teaching. And in that state of presence, you don't know the answer yet. Then the answer may come through you, or it may come through the other person, or the problem will dissolve and be recognized as unimportant. All these things can happen. So once you take a step, and you can take a step probably as a part-time part thing first, 
so it, in my case, it grew very gradually and organically over a number of years. So it started with meeting people casually. Then finally, I recognized this is my mission in this world. It seems to be. So I no longer applied for any jobs anymore. And then I announced that I would see people. For a little while, I used the modality of spiritual healing because I, some people actually experienced some spiritual healing when I gave them counseling. So for a couple of years or two or three years, I, people knew me as a spiritual healer and would come for spiritual healing. Then I dropped that label because I saw too many people who had just wanted to get rid of their physical symptoms, but they were not interested in spiritual awakening. And spiritual healing became not that important to me anymore because after you heal a person a few years later, they die anyway. They won't. Everybody dies. Uh, so there's something more important, or there's nothing wrong with spiritual healing. It's beautiful, but there's something more important, and that's spiritual awakening. So I, I dropped that. And then again, there was a <laughs> there was a chance encounter. I was at a, invited to a dinner in London, and there was a man. At that point, I was seeing people for counseling sessions, and they initially they would just leave a donation, and then after a while there was a charge. I met a man at a dinner in London while I was engaged in beginnings of spiritual teaching, and I talked to him. He didn't he knew nothing about me, and there, there wasn't much to know about me, but he worked for the Theosophical Society in London. Theosophical Society, you may no, they've been around for a long, long time. And he said, oh, we need people like you at the Theosophical Society. You must come and give a talk. So he must have felt something or seen something. So he invited me. That was the first time I ever gave a formal talk. Was in the Theosophical Society in London to about 20 people. And that was the beginning of a most clearly defined form. I still remember the title of that talk that I gave, my first ever public talk. It was called, <laughs> they wanted an interesting sounding title. So it was called Spiritual Dimensions in Psychotherapy. <laughs> and at that talk, I found uh, one interesting fact. I had, I would never have known, I, when I did counseling sessions, of course, I had no notes, but sometimes I wrote things down afterwards because I was surprised sometimes what I said. I did I said things I didn't know that I knew them. But during this talk, I thought, oh, I need to have some outline of what I'm going to talk about at points, 20, 15 points, something. So I talked and then I came to an end of what I had to say and then I looked at my notes and I noticed immediately the moment I looked at my notes, these 20 people in the room, the energy in the room got deflated immediately. When I talked freely, there was a collective presence arising. Everybody was alert. I looked at my notes and it went like, like a balloon that was suddenly. And then when I started talking again, it took a while for the presence to return. And then, okay, okay. And then I looked again, same thing happened again, energy deflated. And that was the last time I ever uh, had notes for talks. <laughs> it 
even if I forget something important, it doesn't matter. The presence is the teaching. It's not ultimately what you say. The presence is the teaching. The presence is who you are. So you are the teaching. You're not the teacher. The essence of who you are is the teaching. And you will reflect to people who they are. You awaken the presence in the other by your presence. And the other is not other. It's the one presence arising. And that's the function of the spiritual teacher. All the stuff is secondary. The words or what you've learned, etc., is secondary. Primary is the presence. The, there's only one teacher. Uh, presence is the teacher. And so that's how it is. And the, the more presence shines through you, the more powerful the teaching. Thank you. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you very much. Right. So we've come to the end of our session. Let's conclude then with a moment of stillness. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.